in Rome. And he was writing to them to tell them, basically, that two things that Romans was really all about. Uh, salvation by grace through faith. And the acceptance of the Gentiles around the world who are now becoming Christians. Um, so he was writing to the Jewish church and we get so much of the theology and doctrine. Well, he's, he's basically finished his letter. And he's closing the letter starting in verse 14. Uh, the first 13 verses in the book of Romans, uh, he was just finishing his uh, idea of how to be walk the Christian walk. But I want you to look at verse 14. Now that's where we'll start. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points. So this letter of Romans is certainly a bold letter, challenging them to walk in the ways of God, challenging them uh, you know, to follow the government in Romans 13, present themselves a living sacrifice, and all the things that come with uh, baptizing Christ and salvation by grace through faith. And what shall we do? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And so when he gets done with the writing, he encourages them, saying, I am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you're full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able to admonish one another. So it's very important when preaching happens that when scripture is being presented from the pulpit and it's true scripture, that you don't take it personal. The preacher's not, on a, not supposed to be on some high horse trying to reveal all your secrets and trying to, uh, for example, a preacher who might preach on money because the offerings are down. That's, it's, it's base, that's basically inappropriate. Um, but there will be verses on God loves a cheerful giver. And when we cover those, you'll be encouraged to give. And if you're one who's not giving, that may twinge you a little bit. It may bring in conviction. Um, and, you know, you can't take it personal. Uh, I've had a... a a challenging time sometimes because we go verse by verse and book by book but sometimes somebody in the week will call and and have a question or they'll have a uh, an issue and then as we get to Sunday the issue comes up in the chapter that we're talking about and it's very it's like oh they're gonna think that I and that's why we go chapter by chapter book by book it's very uh, uh, takes a lot of the pressure off so they were, but he's telling them, look it, I've had to write to you some bold points. But I want you to know I'm confident that you're full of goodness. And if, if I come to you and I say that, I watched a little video yesterday, a little mini sermon. And uh, it was a little convicting. There were some things that challenged me that I have to be thinking about as far as some things in my own life. And so... Um, 
doesn't mean I'm not good with God. Make sense? Your sins are forgiven. You're as good with God as you're ever going to be. Their sins are as far as the east is from the west. He remembers your sins no more. But there's still some things that God would want you to do to improve your life. Uh, number two, he says, you're filled with all knowledge. You're a Sunday night crowd. Your knowledge is, is to be respected. You, you're putting the time in to be uh, surrounded and filled with the word of God. And you're able to admonish one another. Now, what does that mean? Able to admonish one another. Well, you can't admonish or encourage or counsel anybody without a good knowledge of the word of God. And so I have friends who I don't go to for spiritual advice. They're just not strong enough in the word. Uh, I will go to those in this room. I will go to you because you know the word. And you're going to give me counsel that's going to be from the Bible. So he's actually really complimenting the people he's writing to. Do you see that? And he's saying because of this, because of your strength, I, I have written more boldly to some points as reminding you because of the grace that was given to me by God. So he says, I've written more boldly. Uh, there is a difference. Not, and it's, it's, it's done on purpose, but not on purpose. But there is a difference in the presentation of verses on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights compared to Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings has to include the gospel. And it's more... Uh, it's, it's a little less deep. Uh, we don't have the interaction we would have on a Wednesday night where if you want to stand and, and, and say something or, or take part in our study, that's available to the Sunday nights and Wednesday night. Uh, I can't do that on Sunday morning because the, the, there could be people that would speak out that do not have, uh, the, who are not able to admonish one another. Do you see the difference? Uh, so it's a little different. Um, verse 16, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So here's the real purpose for writing Romans. Uh, Paul has two things he wants the church to allow him to do. One is he wants to be allowed to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And there's a lot of pushback on that. Remember, this is just before he gets to Jerusalem, and we saw all the criticism he took this morning. And all, most of it had to do with the Gentiles. And so the other thing he wants to do is the Gentiles have an actual material offering. They have raised money to bring to uh, the poor and needy in Jerusalem. And they're doing it, we're going to see, out of a responsibility to the, to the Jewish faith and to the Hebrews who were essential in Christ coming to earth. And because of that, their salvation would not be possible without the Jews. So they're trying to, through this offering, become unified. 
and, and that's really the whole different message in Romans. It is two things that are completely changing that Paul's trying to describe. One is salvation by grace and not by works. And the other is the unity of believers, whether you're neither Jew uh, nor Greek, neither slave nor free, we're all one in Christ. And so he's writing that the grace message is essential, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And he wants the Jews to see the Gentiles in a different light. I'm going to share with you something I wouldn't share on a Sunday morning. But I had an interesting um, experience this week. Uh, and it probably has nothing to do but with, with anybody's walk. But um, when I was in high school, I don't talk about this very often. But when I was in high school, there was a, a fellow. His name was Jeff McKibben. And Jeff McKibben um, uh, tortured me. He uh, waited every day at school, and if I didn't give him $2, he would just slug me until I gave him the $2. So I always had $2 for my lunch every day. And I spent most of my freshman and sophomore years of high school hiding behind buildings, uh, running home from school. I didn't do any after-school activities. Uh, and just avoiding this guy as much as I could. Um, and it was something that really affected m my, uh, how I looked at myself. And I hated this guy for years. I would lay in bed thinking about the ways I would uh, stand up to him. And, and, and so I, I had heard after I graduated high school that he had become a Christian. I didn't know if that was true or not. But I basically, guys, became a Christian, forgot about it, think about it every once in a while. So this week, uh, you know how Facebook every once in a while puts friend suggestions? This guy came up. He's friends with apparently somebody I'm friends with. And I saw that name, and, and it triggered all of that stuff. And I said, well, what is this guy up to? And he's a guitar player in a rock and roll band and I said that figures and he's a tattoo and I said that figures big fat bully and he's got a wife and a couple kids and these these kids are playing guitar and they got long hair and I say see he's a lousy father I knew that and then I'm going I said well let me see what he posts I'm going to see what his political views are I'll bet he's some liberal and I went there and there was the first post was uh, thanks for your thoughts and prayers as we go through this difficult time. And I go a little further, and then I see another picture of him, and he's just at the at the brink of death. He's got very serious cancer, and he he's, he if he hasn't died yet, he was on the brink of death, and everything changed. Everything changed, and I, I see that with Paul's pleading to the Jews the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles if you remember Peter when he went to Cornelius's house he said I've never even been into a Gentile's house and Peter was solid but he had trouble accepting the Gentiles this is a complete transition and uh, so whatever you know cognizant euphoria my searching Jeff McKibben had has 
what it has to do with the message is I thought the what Paul is wanting to see, this complete change in how they view the Gentiles, I kind of experienced that. I all of a sudden had real sympathy for this guy, real sorrow for his family. Um, and so that's the purpose. Uh, I've written more boldly on some points, he says in verse 15. Yes? So he came back, though. That's right. Heavenly Father, we pray for Glenn, Lord. Like I said, this week has been filled with these type of things. So we just pray, Lord, for the doctors and get wisdom to why, Lord. He wasn't doing good on recovery. And he's a strong man. He, he didn't even have a heart attack. It was just tiredness. And, and Lord, I pray they would figure out if there's something they need to do more. I thank you for bringing him back. And we just pray, Lord, this phone call right now, whatever it might be, God, your will be done in lifting up Glenn and his family. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. So his purpose in verse 15, he says, the reason I wrote boldly is to remind you because of the grace given to him. I just want to remind you, it's all about grace that I might preach to the Gentiles and that you might accept this offering of the Gentiles. Not only their material offering, but just God's presenting the Gentiles into the body of believers. Um, verse 17. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Jesus Christ. Everything okay? Okay. Okay. I'm glad you told me. Kathy's the one I've been communicating with on that. Okay. Therefore I have reason to glory in Jesus Christ in the things which pertain to God. Um, I'm going to talk about this verse just for a second. Um, there's a verse in the Bible that says that if you're going to glory, let him do what? Glory in the Lord. And uh, one of the the... We've changed a little bit of our method, and I, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing or wrong thing. Uh, some of the, the uh, order of service and the things we do, having prayer at the beginning and doing praise separate, I, I have a, a those changes, they are always prompted by verses that I'm reading. And I'm reading verses about how the church did things and I want to, I'm trying to do the right thing. I don't know if they're the right thing or not. Um, but one of the things about uh, separating the prayer requests and praises came from Hannah. Hannah came to God and asked for what? She asked for a son. And she's praying and uh, Eli didn't even know. She thought He thought she was drunk, if you remember that. And then... He encouraged her, and the Bible says she got up, and she, it said she was not sad anymore. But if you read it carefully, God never told her she was going to have a son. But once she laid the prayer request at the feet of God, there was nothing more she could do about it. So my thought was, well, maybe if we come to God at the beginning of prayer, at the beginning of the service, 
and then the burdens we're bringing into the church we can let go for a little bit and then go completely to worship of God and then the praising and the praising is is not a bad thing but as you know I encourage songs and Bible verses because sometimes praises become a little braggadocious yeah I just want to thank God this week we won our game and I hit a home run and I was that that that's great, and we praise the Lord, and kids do that all the time. Dave does it with Awana. There's not, that's great for kids. Adults, your glory should completely be for what God has done this week. And if you notice, we don't have very many praises. It doesn't go very good. But there's a reason for that, I believe. It's because all of us don't want to point to ourselves. So what Paul says is, therefore... I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things that pertain to God. When he's sharing what God has done, it's not him. It's completely the things that God has done. And sometimes when you, know, you say, well, I was looking at this verse or I was in the store and I met this uh, fireman and I prayed with him, that's a God thing. Those are things we should be comfortable sharing with each other. Um, but it's a, it's a balance. Uh, I like verse 18 a lot. It took me a while to grasp this verse. Um, and uh, I might, uh, Larry, I might have you read it in the King James for me. But I'll, let me read the New King James. It says, I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. Uh, can you read it from the King James, please? So if you'll notice, the verse has a, a, a double negative. Did you notice that? And it says, I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me. So what he's saying is, the only thing I'm going to talk about are the things that Christ has accomplished. And I am not going to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished. So I'm not going to tell you the things that I did. I'm not going to tell you, man, I sold six tenths. I had a good day at the office. I'm going to tell you that God healed this person and God rose this person from it. And God did this. Remember, there was a lot of signs and wonders going on. And the reason why he's sharing it is because the Jews need to know that the work of God is being done among the Gentiles. There's miraculous things happening. If you remember, when Peter got to Cornelius' house, what was the thing that amazed the Jews the most? Do you remember? It was that the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in tongues, just like Acts chapter 2. And they really thought that was just a then thing, that that was something special. And this is one of the things where this, nobody in here will be bamboozled by this, but this, uh, these phony churches with their signs and wonders that they have some special connection because God loves them more than anybody else so they can do healings and all these things. Uh, I heard one this week that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is anybody who's, who says 
that who questions any miracles churches do. <laughs> that if you, if you question charismatic movement, you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit, therefore you're going to hell. Just that is totally opposite. These are actual amazing signs and wonders by God that the, Paul's message to the Jews is, I'm not going to boast in anything except the things that God is actually doing. And this is the evidence that the Gentiles in the eyes of God are welcomed. Are welcomed. And that salvation by grace without works, without the law of the Hebrews, without being circumcised, it's available. It's available. And the evidence is the signs and wonders. Look at verse 19. In many mighty signs and wonders by the power of God so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So this is another one of Paul's evidences. Number one was the miracles are everywhere. Number two, I've seen it from Jerusalem to Illyricum. So what is Illyricum? Illyricum is... Uh, it's, it used to be Yugoslavia, but it's, it's basically from Jerusalem. Remember, he went into Macedonia across, and he says, I have been all, as far as you guys have never been, and I'm seeing God do amazing miracles. Far, far, far from Jerusalem. Far from the temple. Far from this Hebrew center. You have no idea what God's doing out there because you haven't been there. And I've seen it. And it's amazing. Um, and he says, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Uh, there's a verse. It's an interesting verse. Liz is, um, as long as I've known her, she is very, very careful when the kids are saying verses. I tend to be, you know, they, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life and I'll say good job and I'll sign it but you can't sign it why yeah they believe in him they left some words out so Liz is so one of the verses is Romans 116 in Romans 116 I quote all the time but I don't know Liz how long it was well, there was one part I kept missing I kept leaving out So Romans 1.16, I know that verse because Liz hammered me home on this as my uh, admonisher. She has the ability to admonish. And she does it in such a loving way. And it says for Romans 1.16, which says what? Liz again? So all the way back at the beginning of Romans... What was the foundational point of the book of Romans? It was the gospel of Christ. And Paul saying, look, and I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first, is that the next part? And so then to the Gentiles. So his point was, I'm not ashamed to take this gospel to the Gentiles. So he opens Romans with that point, And he closes Romans with that point. And he finishes... Uh, basically, this this is basically his his uh, ending of this book, 
And he's saying, look, at, I have from Jerusalem all the way as far uh, west as I could go, I have preached the gospel. Um, that's amazing. These next two verses are really good. Uh, verse 20. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. Isn't that a good verse? This is a missionary verse. It's a, it's, it's a true missionary work. Uh, Mike Bradley, uh, great missionary. Uh, he, he is, and so he has been a missionary in England for quite a while. We've been supporting him for quite a while. But his uh, ministry is to go to a town in England where there is no church. And he does a pretty extensive study along with uh, the organization he's with. And they identify a place, for example, not where he is now, but where he was before. There was a little town. I forget. It's, I think it started with a C. I forget the name of the town. But if you remember, he made a presentation. And the town had welcoming flyers and really encouraging people to move to this town. We have malls, we have great schools, and one of the pluses is, and there are no religious organizations allowed, no churches. You can come here and you won't have a church. And so it's freedom. It's, nobody's going to... So what they did is they started a church about two miles outside the town with the idea of going into the town and inviting people to the church just two miles outside the town. So his methodology is, is, is a pretty simple method. Uh, he offers free guitar lessons in that, at the church. And he goes into town and, and he meets people, individuals, until and he teaches them hymns on the guitar. And that's how they learn to play and uh, builds a relationship. And then he's usually there I think between four and seven years until there's a group that is large enough to have an organized church and there is a person trained enough to pastor them. And then once that's established, he moves on. Very similar to the Apostle Paul who would go from town to town, go into the synagogues, reason with the Jews, stay there for a while, then appoint elders in all of these cities. And so now he's been in the northern part of England, I think for about three or four years. So I wouldn't be surprised the next few years that he, he changes again. But that is, is church planting missionary work. And that's what Paul says he does. I, I want to go where Christ was named. Now, this church started because when Pastor Alexander came... Uh, he didn't necessarily come here to start a church. But when he came here, it was pretty obvious that there was not a church preaching the gospel. And it was necessary. So he started to preach the gospel. Uh, one of the things that were the building, uh, the um, pool, the paying things off. Uh, we are tr we're establishing a corner in this town 
that will always be there to preach the gospel long after we're gone. That's important to us. And that is no law but love, no creed but Christ, no book but the Bible, verse by verse, Bible first, Awana, shoeboxes, all those things that, you know, when we're gone and Courtney's running everything, that will be, um, everything will be established. Verse 21 says, that is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. So he quotes Isaiah 52. And this is very similar to Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians 10. Um, I'm a little wordy today, so we won't turn there. But uh, 2 Corinthians 10 are the verses about staying in your own sphere. Paul says, I stay in the sphere that God called me. Our sphere is Legrand. All right, one of the things that has protected me a little bit as a pastor is not to be too overly concerned with what other churches are doing. Stay focused on what we're doing, kind of what we talked about today, have a clear conscience. I know that I'm supposed to preach verse by verse. I know that we're supposed to have a wana. I know that there's certain ministries we're supposed to do. And so we stay pointed on that. And the second thing 2 Corinthians 10 says is, is don't let the criticisms of others affect you. Stay in your sphere and don't uh, boast in other people's works. So Paul really wanted to get out there. He says, this is why I travel. This is why I've gone all the way to Illyricum, all the way to Macedonia, because I want to go where nobody's ever heard of Jesus. Nobody's ever heard. I remember, I'll share this little story with you. We've shared it before, but I remember when we first got the property over by the apartments, and we were doing little um, kind of mini VBSs over it. Do you guys remember that? And we had kids from the apartment, and we thought, man, let's build a relationship with these kids at the apartment. And we started talking about, I had all kinds of stories. We were going to do Noah's Ark, and we were going to do that. And we started talking. They didn't know who Noah was. They had never heard of Noah. How about Adam? They had never heard of Adam. And there was a sadness on one hand, but an excitement on the other that we had a chance to take this group and from scratch, from the very bare bones, share with them the story of Adam and Eve and the story of the gospel. Uh, and that's going to become... Go ahead, Carol. That's right. They would sit and listen to the stories from the Bible without, they would let their popsicles just melt. They never heard it. It was amazing. They were they never so heard it. hungry to hear. It, it, it's, it, it was an, a, a really unique experience. And, and that's what Paul desired to get to the places where there was no church, establish it, and build it. That's beautiful. Uh, first, and by the way, that again is the ultimate ministry of the shoeboxes. Because we can't, there's some of these places the shoeboxes go, these third world countries where we, uh, there's the logistics of getting a missionary there, starting a church, but man, these boxes, it's incredible. Um, so, verse 22 for this reason, I have been much hindered from coming to you. I really want. To visit you, he says, but I can't. I've been all the way to the west. But now, no longer having a place in these parts, 
having a great desire these years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I will come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. So this is kind of a very uh, beautiful. He really wants to visit. Does he sound like he's angry with them? No, he can't wait to see them. So he has taken this book of Romans, which was a deep, you know, we're talking about preachers don't even like to go into this book because it's so deep uh, at times. But he is looking at the people he's writing to and saying, you know, I know that you're, you're full of goodness. You're filled with knowledge. I love you guys, but there, things are changing. Things are changing. I hope to see you someday. Verse 25. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. That happened this morning. It's so interesting. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are in their debtors. Because for the Gentiles have been partakers of the spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. And this is something that your offerings, as we partake together in this ministry, it's up to us to keep the ministry going. And to keep the ministry going, the lights on, the water bill paid, uh, food on your pastor's table, you you give offerings. And that's never been an issue here. Generosity uh, is over and above this church. It's, it's as generous as any church I've ever been associated with and ever talked to. It is just, uh, in fact, I just, there was a really good pastor that was in Merced and uh, um, I had met with him a, a couple different times and he had to step down and there were two reasons why he stepped down. One was that he uh, his, has an autistic son that he needed to take care of. Uh, but he told Pastor Rick the other reason was if somebody wanted to use the church, they were charging just an over and abundance amount of money to just borrow the church for a funeral or a wedding. And he would beg the men that, that this is not biblical. We, we're, not, we're a nonprofit organization. We should be serving the community, opening our doors. And it wasn't just even the cost of the electricity. It was a profit-making thing. And he couldn't get the men to see. Uh, and he, just, he said, just, we're not on the same page. And he had to step down. And, and you're, you have been the opposite over these years. So generous in so many different things. And that's what the Gentiles were. They were uh, partakers of spiritual things. And it felt it was their duty to now help out in material things to the poorer Jews. It was such an interesting thing. Can you just think how the Jews would feel about these Gentiles meeting their needs? Because God is taking care of them. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Man, I just look forward to this. Now, verse 30, we're going to spend a couple minutes on it. I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, 
that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. This is such an incredible verse. So I want you to look at the phrase, strive together. So I want you to think of what comes to mind with that two-word phrase, to strive together. But notice what he says, strive together with me in prayer. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Well, the, the phrase strive together is a one Greek word that's, that's split into two. And it is synagonizomai. Synagonizomai. S-Y-N, which we know means what? Same. So that's where together comes from. The second part is A-G-O-N-I-Z, which is agonize. And the literal meaning is to agonize together in prayer. In fact, when Jesus says in Luke twenty two forty four that being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, that word agony is agonia, the same Greek word in the middle of striving together. So Jesus is praying in agony for God to take the cup from his hand. And I'll tell you, the, what's the example? Um, we just had it. We get a phone call in the middle of the service, and we've got to pray for Glenn. And, you know, we, we agonize with their family. And we've all had that. I, I remember, uh, you know, the night that you called and Justin was shot. The night you called and Don was headed to the hospital. The night that David passed away. The, the, we, in this particular, Warren, there were, there were days where we thought you weren't going to make it. And I remember when we lost our son Samuel. And we agonize with each other. We feel each other's pain, don't we? We feel, I hate it. I hate it when I get those phone calls because they want you to pray, but you don't even know how to pray sometimes. It's, it's agony for us as a body that come together and become so close because we're knit by the Holy Spirit and the gospel. And when we are praying for, for, and, and for Liz and I, we get them all. We get them all. And we love you guys so much. And, and some days are just agony. We're hurting for you guys. We hurt. So when you hurt, we just hurt. And, you know, when you said that Glenn was okay, I wouldn't have been able to preach if he wasn't. It just wouldn't. I wouldn't have been able to. It would, too, it would have been too hurtful. Um, so what, I beg with you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Why? Because I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Look at, I'm headed down to Jerusalem. We know from this morning what he's headed to. We know that people agonizingly prayed to Paul that he wouldn't go. 
And we know that agonizingly they prayed in the book of Acts, thy will be done. Because he said, please, you're breaking my heart. I got to go. That's agonizing prayer. We pray and we hurt for you. And you do the same for Liz and I. And I was just, as, as we get, I, do you guys remember Bill Stevens? Bill Stevens was the pastor of Christian Life Center for years and years and years. And uh, so he had retired. And he said one of the reasons he retired is, is as he got into his 70s and his 80s, he says well, the majority of his ministries was visiting people he loved in the hospital and doing their funerals. And it became too heavy, too heavy for him. Uh, but guess what we're going to do? If the Lord tarries and, and we're allowed to be here, we're going to be there for each other. There's a lot of things in the future. This world is, is unstable, unsteady. And there's going to be a lot of rejoicing. But we, he says, look, at, I don't know what's awaiting me. And if I start getting beat, I want you to pray for two things in verse 31. One is that I'm delivered and they don't kill me. And number two, that Jerusalem would, would accept the Gentiles and the gift that I'm going to bring them. That I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. And I may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul knew what he was about to face. Hindrance from the brethren over the grace message, over the Gentiles accepting Christ. And that provoked the writing of this book, the writing of the book of Romans, the very book that was being uh, written out uh, when the Reformation happened. And the thesis was nailed to the door by Martin Luther. It was the book of Romans that he was scribing and writing out. And as he began to read this book of Romans, he began to see that teachings in the Catholic Church were not by grace but by works in this incredible book that Paul wrote. In fact, that's going to be most of the rest of his life, isn't it? Just writing letters that continue to bless us today. Last verse. Verse 18, one more time. I will dare, I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. I will not stop talking about what God is doing with these Gentiles. I want everybody to know because I've seen it with my own eyes and you need to accept it. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray for Glenn tonight. We pray for Andy tomorrow. Lord, I'm uh, concerned about him and his health. That I know that, that he tried to have, be strong today, but I know he's got to be nervous about it. I pray for Katie and Kelly as I know they care for the brother. And we just pray, Lord, that that test will come back okay. I pray for Barbara and as she drives today and takes Richard into the hospital and he has his uh, hip replacement. Lord, it's a difficult uh, surgery, but one that uh, Lord can go well, and we just pray that it does. Have your hand upon those, and, and the agony of some of the things we're going through, we lift each other up, and we look for opportunities to share the gospel and to encourage one another in Jesus' name.